the feeling goes both ways, uh, Justin, and to the team here. You guys are um, uh, just, you know, when, you, when you're amongst friends, you're amongst friends. And, um, and that's, that's a good, that's a really, really good place um, to be. Um, as always, if this is your first meeting with us, um, afterwards we have a resource table set up um, out there. Uh, Robin and Bronio will be out there. The only thing I would ask is that if you don't want anything, God bless you. I'll see you next time. If you know I'm going to grab something before I leave tonight, I would just ask that you do that in the first 10 minutes. The reason is, is because um, Branya and Robin have given their day, um, and it's not, this isn't their job. They have to go to work tomorrow. And so um, the fulfillment of scripture is to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And so I don't want them having to stand there for 40 minutes while people have coffee, although I want you to have coffee. I just want you to buy first and chat second. Okay, so that's the order of things. We're going to buy first, chat second. That way we can treat Robin and Branya um, well. So we'll be out there for about 10 minutes, and then we, gotta, we have to pack it up. I've got to take it to the next place. I'm speaking in Arana Hills um, this Tuesday, and then uh, we'll see. I'm supposed to be in Adelaide next week, this coming up week, but I don't know. So we'll see. Uh, you just have to take whatever, uh, whatever comes at us, all right? So um, come, come say hello out there. Now, what we've uh, talked about today uh, my job when I come to President's Church is to open the Bible, and I take that really serious. And so when you open the Scripture, you want to ask at least two questions. One, what happened? And two, what's happening in me right now because of what happened? And so the journey we've taken today is that love doesn't keep score. Love doesn't keep score. And if love doesn't keep score, then God doesn't keep score. You can't have a scorekeeping God and then not develop into a scorekeeper yourself. And if we scorekeep ourselves, we'll be unhappy because the divine privilege to living in a loving relationship gets dumbed down to a competition. And uh, that, that creates all kinds of revenge and anger and fear and anxiety. It just creates a whole lot of, uh, of problems. And then the second one, we talked about Jonah and whether we were going to focus our life on plants or people and, um, and how we don't want to be people who surrender to God's moral will for our lives while losing sight of what God's up to in everybody else, particularly the most vulnerable. That that followers of Jesus are not people who believe in Jesus. Followers of Jesus are people who fundamentally allow Jesus to shape how they see the world, how they see God, and how they apply Scripture. And that means we would never, ever, ever, as followers of Christ, use our liberties to step over or act like the most vulnerable amongst us matter less than our personal freedom, right? And so we talked about that. Tonight I want to talk to you about developing a righteous spirit. And I want, to, um, I want to talk to you a bit about money, um, and I want you to relax in that. And so um, I, I, I think that when we, when we breach topics like this, it, it can get a little bit hairy because of uh, the, the topics like this carry a certain amount of baggage with it because I'm not only talking to you, I'm talking to everything you've ever heard about it um, and every abuse you've ever heard. And, and so, um, but the truth of it is, is I truly just want, I want all of us to win financially. And if you listen to what I'm going to say tonight and you apply it, you will win financially, right? Now, some people are going to be able to do that. Some people are not. And, and I, don't, I don't think God likes us any less or more. I just think that there's a good life in understanding some of these principles. And, and I want to start dealing with that. But before I do, I want to ask for forgiveness, okay? Because words always matter less than how we picture those words functioning, so there's a way to say something that's true that can necessarily create an untrue imagination. So the example I used in the first service this morning is if I said, Jesus is your judge, true. But if you picture a heavenly courtroom and Jesus 
as a judicial officer def deciding if you're guilty, not guilty, if you're in credit or you're in debit. That's not true because the, the Hebrew word for judge is shofet, which is defender. It's somebody anointed by God to set us free, right? And so we say, Jesus is your judge. Now, come on, get close to Jesus. Ain't nobody going to be in court. Nobody wants to be in court, even if you're innocent, right? And so, but what if our primary image of Jesus, the judge, is like the book of Judges, which was not judicial officers. It was people anointed by God to set us free. Now, the same is true with the word tie. So, so, so the lady this morning that was emceeing, she, she, did, a, she did a great job moving the service along, and then, we, and then she took up the offering. And she told a testimony that was her story around how the tithe worked. And he, here's, here's what's true about that story. Some people connected with that story, right? I did, because that's my story as well. Some people didn't connect with the story just because they weren't ready to hear something like that. But other people might have disconnected from it not because what she said wasn't true, but because the imagination that that word creates has a certain amount of baggage to it that isn't good, right? And so when I say the word tithe, that doesn't matter. What matters is whatever picture you have right now, right? And for most people, tithing gets dumbed down to give 10% to the church. Why? Because God said, shut up. That's what it gets dumbed down to. And then that sort of thing lends itself to certain abuses. And so I would like to ask for forgiveness for at least three of these abuses. So let me, um, if you could throw that first slide up for me. Uh, there, are, there are at least three. There's probably uh, more. That, uh, the, the tithe is a rule to attain God's love. So if it was ever presented that way, and I want to be clear, I don't think anybody ever would intend to present it that way, but that doesn't mean somebody in here didn't hear it. And here's the problem, right? If your whole life, when someone said tithe, you heard, you better give sacrificially for God to love you. Now, when I talk about something like this, I have to overcome that image. And I don't want to overcome that image because that's not what I mean when I say it. Even if the person who said it to you meant it that way. That is not what I mean. And, 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 if, and, and in fact, that could be used to manipulate and abuse people. That kind of idea. Whether you ever give a cent or not, I don't, I, like God is eternally extending consent and mercy and love towards you, right? That's not about that. Number two, the, the, the idea that the tithe is an end in and of itself. What that sounds like is, is just tithe and the rest, it's all okay after that. Like you can sort of be a jerk, but you're a tithing jerk, Right? Right? Well, no, if you're a tithing jerk, you're, you're a jerk. Right? And I would say the same thing about, like, tongues. People say, well, I'm spirit-filled. How? Because I speak in tongues. Yeah, yeah but you, you beat your wife. You're, you're a tongue-talking jerk. Right? It's, it's so the idea that tongues or tithing or any of that is an end to itself. It sounds, and again, I don't think anybody ever intended to do this. But you could see where some people might have taken it that way, correct? Like, hey, just tithe and that's the end of your, that, hey, tithing is the end of your obligation as a Jesus person to do good in your community. Uh, no, no, tithing goes as a part of a package. And, and the third abuse I'd like to ask, so if, if, 
If you were ever told that the tithe is some sort of transactional thing for God to love you, I, I apologize. And so I'm going to use the word tithe tonight, but if that's your picture, we're talking different languages here. Or if you were ever told the tithe is into itself, again, I apologize. I never told you that, but somebody might have. And so I get up and say, or, or uh, the, the lady that, that took the office word, she gets up and says, this is how much tithing has blessed my life. And, and, and you're thinking, how does this rule for God to love? What is this? Who, who does that? And, if, and, so, and so what happens is, is sometimes we end up arguing about words, but what we're really arguing about is the picture those words created, right? And so, so somebody says, oh, I don't believe in tithing. And I'm thinking, what is it exactly you don't believe in? Because what I've always found is, is that when I ask when I, when I don't argue the theology of tithing, I just say, tell me what tithing is. I've never had somebody actually be against tithing, and we're going to talk about that in a second. The third abuse I'd like to ask for forgiveness for is that the tithe is magic. Like, hey, hey, act as stupid as you want and just tithe and you'll automatically win. No, you won't. No, you won't. No, you won't. If you buy things you can't afford with money you don't have to impress people you don't like, you're going to be broke. If you buy a $60,000 car on a $50,000 income, you're going to be broke. And it's not because of Satan. Poor Satan. <laughs> Flipping Satan, attacking everybody. And this non-omnipresent being, 7 billion people in the world, and he's not attacking Myanmar, no. He's attacking your finances? No. No. Satan has got nothing to do with you being broke. You're paying 8% interest on something losing 50% of its value in the first three years. That's why you're broke. And the bottom line is, is we have two choices. We can take responsibility for our financial choices, or we can scapegoat something like, oh, if I just would have been tithing, this enemy couldn't attack my finances. Wait a minute. The enemy can take a vacation from attacking most people's finances just because we do enough stupid stuff. Right? So I'd like to apologize if it was presented as a transaction for love, if it was somehow presented as an end to itself, or if it was presented as some sort of magic. Hey, do whatever you want to do. If you just tie, don't worry about it. God's got this. Actually, that's the last temptation. That's the second temptation of Christ, wasn't it? Second temptation? Where the enemy says to Jesus, hey, um, just do something really dumb and jump off a mountain. And God's plan for your life is like so big, he'll probably rescue you. Remember Jesus' response? Jesus is like, well, maybe, but why would I test him when I could just not jump? Right? In other words, God is not duty-bound to fix stupidity. Nor is he duty-bound to finish something he didn't start. If it's, if it's just your really poorly planned out idea, shoving the name God on the end of it is not going to make it any better of an idea. And so when we present these things, if it's ever been presented to you this way, would you forgive me and forgive them on behalf of me? And for the next 30 minutes, would you give me a fresh slate to create a better picture? So let's see where this might take us. A couple of observations about how money works. One, next slide. One, money is a great servant but a horrible master. Okay, so the best, the, the, the financial freedom is this. On the first of every month, you tell your money what it must do. Financial bondage is this. On the first of every month, your money tells you what you must do. And so what we all want to get to is we all want to get to a place 
where we are money's master, not money being our master. Because money's a great servant, but a horrible master. Two, in building a Christ-centered community, how we think about our stuff is of utmost importance. Like if the only goal in your whole life is to go to heaven one day when you die, whatever. Don't worry about it. I find you boring, but whatever, right? But when we're really trying to build a Christ-centered community, you cannot think about things how Jesus thought about things without considering the role of our things. Just can't do it. Number three, the seemingly small choices we make today affects big things tomorrow. If it all depends on how far out your game is or how far out your goal is as to how much it matters what you do today matters, right? So let me give you an example. If you have a very short-term goal, like I want to get through today without dying, okay? Well, if that's your goal, you can almost do anything and get away with it as long as it doesn't kill you. But if your goal is, say, 10 years from now, I want to have some money and live financially abundant, then the small choices we make today makes a big deal then. The shorter your goal, the more inconsequential the small shifts are. So, for instance, if you're flying from Brisbane to Harvey Bay and you're one degree off course, welcome to Maryborough. But if you're flying from Brisbane to L.A. and you're one degree off course, welcome to Mexico. It's an entirely different country, right? And so people say, well, what I do today doesn't so much matter. Well, sometimes you're right about that if your goal is to gauge it in terms of did it ruin your day or not. But the effects that it has over the long term is huge. I'll give you an example. Let's pretend COVID is not a thing just for a second for this example to make any sense, right? According to Forbes magazine, the, uh, the generation turning 20 today has more money available to them by the age of 20 than the previous four generations before it combined, okay? And that's obvious because all you have to do is talk to a 19-year-old, and a 19-year-old with a straight face will say, if I say, hey, what's your plan over the next year? 19-year-olds with a straight face will say, you know what I'm thinking about doing? I'm thinking about taking a year off and walking around Europe. Who's got that kind of money? Listen, I was born in 1976. We did not, could you, okay, if you're 40 years old or older, could you imagine telling your dad that you were going to take a year off to walk around Europe? Imagine telling your dad that. Your dad, if I had told my dad, dad, I got a plan. I'm going to take a year off, walk around Europe. Why? To find myself. My dad would have been like, look, there you are. Go get a job, right? We didn't think about that. Why? Because we didn't have that kind of money. The 19-year-old today has that kind of money. Here's the problem. The 19-year-old might say, it's only going to cost me $10,000. I've worked it out. Now, listen, I've worked a lot in Europe. If you can go to Europe for three months for $10,000, good luck on wherever you're staying, okay? Because that is a dangerous, dangerous situation. You might be staying in some grubby, nasty, you can't even imagine. But whatever. You say, well, is there anything wrong with spending $10,000 to go to Europe? No. But the question is never, is it right or wrong? That's the lie of the snake. First lie told in the scriptures. Big one. Told by a talking snake. When a Bible author says, this lie is so big, a talking snake told the lie, pay attention to the lie. And that lie is that your best life is found in navigating right and wrong. It's not. Because there's a lot of things that aren't wrong, but they're not wise. 
they're not useful, right? $10,000 at 20 years old will double seven times by 62 years old. If you, in other words, if you took this, you, you go waste $10,000 walking around Europe, or you could take the same $10,000 and invest it in just an average index fund. Nothing real risky, just an average mutual fund doing the market averages over the course of the last 70 years. That money will double roughly six or seven times. You know what that means? 20, 40, 80, 160, 320, 640, 1.2 I hope you like the trip, right? <laughs> that small thing at the beginning has turned into something huge at the end. You might say, well, that trip was worth 10 grand. Maybe. Was it worth 1 million? Because at 20 years old, that's sort of what it costed you in the long run. The seemingly small choices we make today affect big things tomorrow, which leads me to some questions. Next slide. Number one, how, how did you get what you have? There is only two ways to accumulate things legally. One is you buy it. You work for it, you buy it, you earn it. So if you drove a car here today that you worked for, you took your paycheck, you took some money, and you bought that car, that is your car. The other way to get things is someone gives it to you, right? So you either buy it or it's given to you as a gift. So if you drove here tonight in a car that you bought, Good. If you drove here tonight in a car someone gave you, also good. However, if you drove here tonight in a car that no one gave you and you didn't buy it, you stole it. Listen, there's only two ways to get things. Work for it and earn it or being given to us. And this is the question we have to deal with as Jesus followers. Do we see our stuff as things that we worked for and earned or do we see everything as a gift from the one that owns it all. And here's the problem. Once again, words matter less than how we picture words working. If I said, are you stealing? That doesn't matter. What matters is what you think theft is. So if you think, no, I have not taken anything that is not mine. Okay. Amen. But in Hebrew, theft had two definitions. One is to take something that's not yours. Duh. Second definition was to withhold something the master intended for somebody else. And of course that's theft. If I own a business, and let's say my, my business is widget making, and I say, I want you to deliver this box of widgets to that customer over there, and I'm the master of the business, I give you the widgets into your stewardship, and I say, drive it, to the customer in Noosa, right? You go, okay, no worries. And halfway to Noosa, you pull over the side of the road and your crew comes and you take half the widgets, close the box, and then deliver half the box of widgets to the, then you, it's not just taking something that's not yours, it's taking something that was intended by the master for somebody else. That is theft. The, the third question is, do you need more than a touch from God? And again, I, I would just like to ask for forgiveness for anybody that ever told you, hey, all you need is a touch from God. No, that's not true. Not when it comes to money. That is not true. All you need is a touch from God for your spirit probably, but when it comes to money, you need way more than a touch from God. 
You need to work. You need to have some wisdom. You know, you need to not be dumb, right? Like you can't make stupid decisions and then presume upon God's grace to fix stupidity. Let, let's say it a couple ways. God is not duty-bound to fix stupidity, nor is he duty-bound to finish something he did not initiate. We actually need to live in wisdom. Now, the Jewish people, whatever you think about Jews, you got to give them this. They nailed the money thing, hey. I mean, come on. Like, whatever your thoughts is, I say Jewish people. Whatever your thoughts is, if your thoughts are like the little hats or the, the things, uh, whatever you're thinking, right? Whatever your thoughts is about Jewish people, you got to admit, they nailed the money thing. They have less than 1% of the world's population and 30% of the world's wealth. They might be onto something, right? And when they talk about money, they operate on five principles, not one. And so I don't have time to go through all five, but I am going to name all five. Next slide. Work. Wisdom, honor, knowing God, and developing a lifestyle of generosity. Let me preach the first three in 30 seconds. There's a cure for being broke. It's called get a job. It's called get up before 10 o'clock in the morning. It's called show up dressed well. It's called bathe regularly, right? It's, it's called work for God, not the man, right? It's called... If you act like you own the place, one day you'll own the place, right? It's that. It's take pride in your work. It's, it, listen, you can't, I, I think I speak for the leaders here. If I, I don't, I, I apologize. But if, if, you're having, if you're having financial difficulty, we will pray with all of our heart that God will give you financial breakthrough. But we'd also like to know if we called you at 1030, you're already awake. Right? Right? That, like, I, I don't know how it all works. But I do know Australia is pretty awesome if you're a person who wants to upskill. I mean, I know someone personally who they for free paid for her to get a licensed forklift driving. Do you know why? Because there's a shortage of forklift drivers in Queensland. So they said, hey, if you're willing to learn how to forklift drive, we got you. Right? You know how long it took her to get a forklift driver's license? Like, seriously, two days, which, frankly, is terrifying. <laughs> You're giving somebody who's never touched a 6,000-pound piece of machinery the key. Anyway, so, but, you know what it cost her to get that license? Nothing. You know what forklift drivers make in Queensland? A lot. In other words... We will pray for you to have financial breakthrough, but we'd also like to know that you're at least applying to the forklift driver school or the electrician school or, or, or the whatever, the, the, the TAFE that, that, that gets you the skills necessary to make it, right? You need more than a touch from God. You need to go to school, right? You need to read books. We need to have some skill, right? So there's, there's, it's not just God, it's work. It's also wisdom. Wisdom is... Spend less than you make and do so for a very long time. If, 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 you want to know, if you want to know why the Jews have all the money, here we go. Every generation since they've existed, they've all saved 10% of their income and then passed it on to their children's children. 
Well, over the course of 20, 30 generations, that is a lot of passed on wealth. It's living in wisdom. Honor. Honor has more to do with how you treat another person. In other words, you cannot win financially if you're doing intentional harm to somebody else because sowing and reaping comes around. Again, if this was a half a day seminar and I could teach each one of these, I would for tonight. Trust me, you don't want me to do all that, right? I want to focus on the last two though. Knowing God and developing a lifestyle of generosity. Knowing God and developing a lifestyle of generosity. So the question is, is if I said, do you know God? It's a pretty important thing. Like Jesus said things like, depart from me, I never knew you. And remember the people he said that to? They were like surprised. They were like, what? But we, wait a minute, how do you not know us? We cast out demons in your name and we prophesied in your name. In other words, Jesus says, I don't know you. And the Pentecostals are like, what? We're the one prophesying and casting. I mean, who else is prophesying in Jesus' name and casting out devils? Pentecostals. In other words, Jesus said there's a lot of people at the end of the day that think they know me, but they don't. And then he goes on to describe Pentecostal Christians, which is frankly terrifying, right? Baptists from Cleveland, say, they're not prophesying, right? So the question, again, words matter less than how we picture words working. So if I said, do you know God? The question, that's, that doesn't matter. The question is, what image comes up when I say knowing God? And this is where it gets a bit easy, right? In all of the Bible, in the whole thing, there's only one definition of what it means to know God. And that makes it really easy. There's another reference to it, but there's one definition. This is the only one I know of in the whole Bible. This is Jeremiah 22, 16. Next slide. He defended the cause of the poor and the needy. And so it went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord your God. So in scripture, to know God was directly tied to how you treated people who could do nothing in return. And that follows Jesus around a lot. Like, can we all admit together that if Jesus starts a story about a rich man with no name overlooking a poor dude, you don't want to be the punchline of that parable? Right? Cornelius, which Justin brought up, this is a Roman centurion who would have had to have proclaimed Caesar is Lord. He is so elemental in his theology, he doesn't even know Peter's not God. Like Peter's, Peter, Peter starts to tell him, Get up! Don't bow to people. That's like rule number one. He's like, oh, what do you hear? Well, God wants you to pastor the first Gentile church. Why me? Because your generosity to the poor has went up as a remembrance to him, and he counted you righteous. Lazarus and the rich man. In, in Luke 11, the Pharisees say, what must we do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, begin to give alms of all such things as you have to the poor, and my Father will declare you righteous. Right? Knowing God was tied to how we treated people who could do nothing in return for us. Now, that's alluded to in other places. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and anyone that loves is born of God and knows God. Both cases, 1 John 5 and Jeremiah 22, whether we know God or not is directly tied not to what we believe, but to how we live in generosity towards somebody else. 
So for them in the money situation, it's work, wisdom, honor, and knowing God. In other words, living our life every day intentional on making someone else's life better without any sort of uh, expectation of return. As a matter of fact, this is such a major theme. Next slide. Um, the word righteousness in Hebrew is sadak. So I put that there for you. So the word righteousness is sadak. The word generous is sadaka. It's the same word. I'll say it quickly. Sadak. Sadaka. Sadak. Sadaka. Sadak. Sadaka. Can you hear the similarity there? Sadak. Sadaka. In the scripture, there's 2,106 verses that connect righteousness to generosity. That's more than prayer, faith, heaven, and hell combined. In other words, without going into the details of it, it's a main theme, right? As a matter of fact, it's the same word, sadak, sadaka. So when Jesus said something like, tell me this sounds familiar. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. It's a play on words. It's blessed are those who live intentionally to fill hungry and thirsty people, and they themselves will never go hungry themselves, right? So in, in his world, in, in other words, Jesus would have said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after Sadak. Righteousness. Well, what in Jesus' world, what's righteousness? So, so look, I'm really going slow here because I, I really want us to get the concept. All right. This is how words work, okay? Words work like container ships. So there's an etymology of the word, how something begins, and then that word jumps on a container ship, metaphorically. And that container ship goes through time. And as it goes through time, that word picks up different imaginations, different connotations, different metaphors. Swear words develop. All swear words are a result of who won the war, right? So all English swear words are a result of the Norman and Saxon conflict. And the Norman words became the clean words, and the Saxon words become the dirty words. If the Saxons would have won, then the opposite words would have been dirty. Right? So that's how words work. So let's just take righteousness, for example. Righteousness in its etymology is living every day to make somebody else's life better. As a matter of fact, the words, in, the ancient words in Hebrew were pictures. And so the, the, the letters is a, um, uh, it's, it's a fish hook with bait on it. It's a uh, fish hook with bait on it. Um, oh, and, the, and the, a, a, a door. And then the last letter is a humble person. And so the word righteousness in its early comic strip was what drives me or lures me is opening the door to me making the life of the humble better, right? Now you take something that profound and then you put it on a container ship and it goes through time. And by 1950 in my granny's generation in South Carolina, righteousness was don't smoke. <laughs> How do you take... Don't smoke, don't drink, don't go to R-rated movies, hate black people, up to you, whatever, right? So, so you, you took something that started out as living life every day for the betterment of somebody else, and then by 1950, it was a list of things you don't do. But righteousness was more about what you engaged in, not what you abstained from. So, so, while we're on this, so, same with holiness. Here's holiness's etymology. You were set apart because God breathed life into you. <laughs> In other words, here's holiness and its etymology. God has trusted you with his breath. What are you going to do about it? Right? And then, and then that word gets on a container ship and goes through time. 
And by the time he gets to 1950, my granny's generation, holiness was don't smoke. <laughs> don't drink. Don't go to R-rated movies. But hating black people is okay. Right? How do you take something that profound... God has trusted you with his breath. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to live righteously by living every day to make somebody else's life better? How does that get dumbed down to a list of things you're not supposed to do? Righteousness and holiness was all about what we engage in, not what we abstain from. Now, don't get me wrong. I want us all to abstain from things that bring death to our life. But righteousness has more to do with what you're doing for somebody, not the behaviors you're abstaining from yourself. Here's a couple of scriptures. There's 2,106 of them. I assume you don't want to hear all of them, right? Or we'd be here till tomorrow. The 40-year-olds are already like, hey, shame, getting close, right? Um, ne ne next slide. Psalm 37. I've been young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or seed begging bread. All the day long he deals generously. See, in English, that sounds like two different things. A righteous person is a generous person. But in Hebrew, that's really clear to see. It's a sadak man does tzedakah. Duh. Of course he does. Psalm 112, a righteous man shows generosity. In Hebrew, that is, a sadak man shows sadaka. Sadak, sadaka, sadak, sadaka. He runs his business with fairness. Here's James chapter 1. If anyone, no, next slide, sorry. If, if anyone considers himself religious and does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself as religion is worthless. That's something to ponder for a second. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. In other words, in the Old and the New Testament, righteousness was tied to how you treated the poor and the afflicted. So for the Jews, money was work, wisdom, honor, knowing God, and developing a sadaka spirit. So knowing God was what? How do you treat the poor and the afflicted? A sadaka spirit was living every day to make somebody else's life better. Which for every Western person ever, here's what they want to know. What about the math? How do I know when I've given enough? What is a, how's a sadaka spirit defined? Well, here's how they defined it for the math nerds, okay? So what they did is they broke your profit down into a field. And the first thing you would do is you would give a very small portion called the Teruma offering to your pastor, the person you're entrusting with your spiritual development, this kind of thing. Now, I'm not going to take any more time on that tonight. You can pick something up on the table on that. But that was called the Teruma offering. It was called the highest offering or the holiest offering. It was, it was, paradoxically, it was also the smallest. It was 140th to 160th. So 25 bucks on 1,000, right? And so you would, it, you would lift it up and then place it into their hands. But then I want to talk about tithing because I want to come back to the beginning. Words matter less than how we picture words functioning. So when I say tithe, that doesn't matter. What matters is what you're picturing. And for most people, it's give 10% to the church. If you give me a second, I think I could change that image. To be fair to English translators, they only use one word, tithe. But in Hebrew, there's actually three tithes. And I think once you see all three, it's going to set us free in terms of the breadth and the wisdom of it. Let, let me show it to you. Next slide. So here are the three tithes. The, the, the first one is called the Ma'aser Rishon. The second one is called the Ma'aser Shani. And the third one's called the Ma'aser Ani. Now, I, I, Ray Charles can see that's the same word. But those, those are three separate tithes. Ma'aser just means one-tenth. That's where we get the word tithe from. 
But you, you, only, you don't just have one, you have three. The Ma'aser Rishon is one-tenth of your church community. That's the one that we're normally used to talking about. But that wasn't the only tithe. The second tithe was called the Ma'aser Shani, and that was one-tenth to yourself. Look, if you've never learned that God is just as interested in you saving money as he is in you giving money, I can see why. I, can you imagine trying to submit to a system that says give, 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 but make no art of receiving? Of course not. And once I learned that God was just as interested in me giving, saving money as he was in me giving money, that, that is, do you understand the power of that? Like, look, even if you work as a cashier at McDonald's from 20 to 65 and never get a raise, which that would never happen, right? Even if you make $25,000 a year, if you give $2,500 a year to yourself into superannuation, index funds, investments, $2,500 a year from 20 to 65 is $1.1 million with compounding interest. In other words, God was on to something. He was pretty smart about this thing, actually. And then the third tithe, and this is, this is pretty straightforward, one-tenth to your church, one-tenth to yourself. And then the only time it gets a little complicated is the Master Annie. The Master Annie was one-tenth to the poor, and this was given every third self-tithe. Let me just make that more simple, okay? Every third tithe to the self, you give it to the poor. So for us, it's months. January and February, tithe to yourself. March, give that tithe to the poor. April, May, tithe to yourself. June, give that tithe to the poor. So the Taruma and the three tithes, they put that into one thing and they called that tzedakah. Here's, so let's put some language around the math, all right? Next slide. Let's see where this takes us. In Jesus' world, being a Christian was more about a new way of being in the world than it was about going somewhere else. The idea, like you'll, you'll never see Jesus say something like this. I just need you to make a decision right now so that when you die, you can know you go somewhere else. That was not the point, Jesus was, here's what heaven looks like. Let's bring that to this earth here now today. It was about a way of seeing the world, a way of seeing God, and a way of applying scripture that brought heaven here. Let's say it this way. In Jesus' world, the focus was less on what do you believe and more on how do you believe what you believe. Like, we've almost ruined the word faith. We made faith a what word. What do you believe? Do you believe what I believe? If you don't believe what I believe, you can't date my daughter. It's that kind of stuff, right? But in Jesus' world, faith was a who do you trust word. And whatever you believe didn't matter. It's what it produced in your life. Like even if you have a weird belief, if it's producing compassion and kindness and connection to Christ and generosity and kindness to our neighbor, well, okay. And even if you have an absolutely correct belief, but you're still a jerk, then that's missing the mark. It's not just what you believe. It's how you believe what you believe. Let's say it this way. To be against, next slide, to be against tithing is like saying, I find no responsibility to my community, no responsibility to my family, no responsibility to the poor. I'll just live isolated from the dance God is up to in our world. Because when, when, when we talk about tithing, we're not talking about giving to the church. We're talking about giving to the church, giving to yourself, and making sure the poor. Here's, tithe, here's, here's, this, here's Sadaka in a nutshell. Ready? And if anybody could be against this, I just, I don't know that I want to know you. Ready? Take care of your pastor, take care of your church, take care of yourself, and take care of the poor before you take care of MasterCard and Visa. 
take care of your pastor, take care of yourself, take, sorry, take care of your pastor, take care of your church, take care of yourself, take care of the poor before you take care of MasterCard and Visa. Who could be against that? So if somebody says, I'm a, I don't believe in tithing, I don't argue with them. I just say, what is it you don't believe in? Well, I don't think we have to give 10% to be counted okay by God. I, yeah, I agree. I agree. But then when you talk to them, you say, what if tithing is more about taking responsibility for your pastor, your community, yourself, and the poor before you take care of Ford Motor Credit, ANZ Mortgage, uh, MasterCard, and Visa? W would you be against that? No, no, no. I could be for that. Right. So, so we're saying the same words, but there's a fundamental different imagination about how that word works. See, to be a functioning part of any part of creation, we've got to master the art of giving and receiving. And money's not the exception to that. Everybody take a deep breath in. Now hold it. And just choose not to breathe out ever again. If you receive without giving, you will faint. And then your body will involuntarily readjust that. If you eat three meals a day and never go to the bathroom, you're going to die. Or you're going to wish you were dead. Because the brother's got to receive. At some point, brother's got to give. <laughs> you know, the only thing in the world that they know of that receives without giving is the Dead Sea. It's the lowest place on earth. There's nowhere for it to go. And nothing lives there. Why? Because without a balance of giving and receiving, we run into a problem. And here's the problem and I, once again, I hope I'm coming across humble and apologetic. If you, if all you ever heard about giving was give, 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 with no equipping on how to master the art of receiving, you got ripped off. Because to be a functioning part of any part of creation, you got to master the art of giving and receiving. And money is just a part of the story. That's not the exception to the rule. It's both. Let's say it this way. Next slide. Tithing is simply an excellent framework to work out a heart and lifestyle of generosity in my life. Will I take care of my pastor, my community, myself, and the poor before I take care of MasterCard and Visa? But the goal is for the word to become flesh. The framework is meant to develop trust and sadaka. And this is true with anything in scripture, right? Like not just money. Like I haven't tithed in years. In the sense that I haven't sat down and divided it by 10. I, I'm, I'm giving so much more than that now. It doesn't. That, that's like tithing was a framework to develop the Sadaka spirit. But it's not the end in and of itself. Nor is anything else. Like, like look. I don't know if I'm making this point clear enough. It's like if you need the Bible to tell you to behave in the life. I, I would say that you could have. Okay. Here's a good one. Ready? Don't kill each other. It's in the Bible. That's a really good one. Right? But, but, but if you need the Bible to tell you that. I would think you've missed the point. Right? Like, I would bet no one in here killed anybody, like, this week. Right? Um, but, but, but I would also bet the reason you didn't kill anybody this week is not because the Bible says. It's because you're not a killer. Here's another good one. Don't take each other's things. Again, I, I would bet no one in here stole anything this week. But it's not because the Bible says. It's because you're not a thief. Oh, here's a great one, right? Don't sleep with each other's spouses. Right? That's a really good one. We should keep that one. Right? Seriously. Like, like, you can't wife swap without civilization starting to crumble, right? And I would, bet, I would bet no one in here is currently sleeping with someone else's spouse, right? Now, if you're here right now and your heart's beating real fast, you're like, oh, God, don't go, oh, no, 
If that's you, if that's you, stop it, right? And don't tell us about it. Don't drag us into your mess. Just stop it, okay? Right? But, but I would bet, I would, I would bet no one in here is currently sleeping with someone else's spouse. I would also bet the reason you're not is not because the Bible says. It's because you don't want to bring despair and darkness on people you love. If you don't get what I'm saying, here's what I want you to do. After this is over, I want you to pour each other your night beverage of choice, whatever. And, and I, want, I want you to hold your spouse by the hand and say, sweetie, listen, I want you, I, I just got, I want you to understand I just love you so much. It's, impo- I, it's impossible for me to love a human being. As my, it's, I, there's no words for the level of love I have for you. But the only reason I'm not sleeping with everybody else is because, unfortunately, the Bible forbids it. And see how your night goes, right? <laughs> When we, can we all agree together there's a more profound reason to live in life? The, the issue is not tithing. Tithing is a framework to build sadaka. And once we build a sadaka spirit, that's profound trust. And there's some principles around that. Next slide. Obviously, there's giving and receiving. Got to master the art of both. There's also something called echad. Echad is the idea of unity in diversity. Here at Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is echad. That, that you are not, this is the problem with some of the things you're seeing on the internet. You are never, ever, ever an entity to yourself. Or have you ever heard somebody say, it's between me and God. If it's just between you and God, do what you want to do. But it's almost never between you and God. It's between you and God and your wife and your kids and your neighbor and your coworkers and everybody else your stupid decision is going to affect. Mm-hmm. It's a chad. It's, it's, you don't live isolated. There's something in Hebrew called the tikkun olam. The tikkun olam just means the repairing of the world. That we are not simply called to go to heaven when we die. We're called to say yes to the infinite possibilities Jesus has for us to be a part of infecting our world. Like, I love this wisdom in Titus 3. And I'm just going I'm to I'm leave you to think about it because I don't have it on a slide. But this is what it says. And I want to remind you, the emperor was a guy named Nero who was skewering people and setting them on fire. And Paul writes Titus about the Christian response to government policy. And here's what he says in Titus chapter 3. Spend all your energy doing good to your community. Tikkun olam. Spend all your energy doing good to your community. And no energy on controversies or any quarrels about the law. Which leads me to this question. How are we doing with that? Are Christians known worldwide for their avoidance of controversies? And quarrels about the law. <sighs> the fourth principle is sadak and sadaka. Giving and receiving, echad, tikkun olam, and sadak. Righteousness and generosity. Now, good sermons are not meant to be agreed with or disagreed with. They're meant to be wrestled with. So let's wrestle with a few questions. One, next slide. Are we participating in the bigger story of God's unfolding grace to the world? In other words, to use a party metaphor, are we in the dance or are we sitting out? The earliest definition of the nature of God was not Trinity. Trinity was a word that came around later to help explain it. And I love the word. I'm not against the word Trinity. But I like the earlier word better. The earlier word was perichoresis. Peri is a perimeter. Peri, circle. Choresis, choreograph. They said God is 
a perfect symbiotic relationship between three that is so symbiotic it's acting as one. And to do that, you got to know when to step up, when to step back, when to honor, when to submit, when to take your turn, when to give the other person their turn, when to promote the other, when to give the other person promotion, when to take the promotion yourself. And they called it the divine dance. And what the rabbi said was they said that at creation, the perichoresis wanted a fourth dance partner. So they created you. So the issue for them is not will you be forgiven, it's will you dance? Will you be a part of what God is up to? Or sit out the dance? Do we trust God as our source? Am I saving for my future? I think that's a question we have to ask. Everybody thinks their future is a long time away until it's not. At some point, you're going to hit a point where because of compound interest, you can't catch up. And no better time than right now than to master the art of receiving as well as giving. In my business, like I'm a really simple person. I, I um, Somebody asked me two weeks ago if I wanted to invest in something. And within two minutes, I realized I didn't understand it. Never invest in something you don't understand. Pretty basic. And I said, I'm so sorry, I hope you win. I just don't understand it. And if I can't understand it, I'm not putting money in. And because I'm so simple, I only invest really in three things. My own business, real estate, and index funds. That's just because I don't understand anything other than those three things. But the way I operate my business is, and my board of directors and I, we try to hold this tension very well. We ask ourselves this, how well are we navigating the tension between wealth building and generosity? Because we never, ever, 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 ever want to, want to give so much that we sabotage being able to give for life. Nor do we want to withhold so much that we become barn builders ourselves. And so what a Christ-centered community of people do is we ask ourselves regularly, how well am I navigating the tension between wealth building so that I could be generous forever and generosity? And we want to hold those things in tension, never at the expense of the other. Have I mastered the art of receiving as well? What have I done recently, next slide, for someone who can do nothing in return? What have I done recently for somebody who has, with no expectation return at all? Probably the most important question I'm asking you tonight is, do you know him? Sheep or goat? Do you know him? By the scriptural definition of knowing God, what have you done for the poor and the afflicted. Number seven, are you willing to start today working a framework to develop a generous spirit? Because once we develop a generous spirit, what the rules say, like you imagine, you imagine me going, how's your spiritual life? Great, why? I didn't kill anybody this week. Well, if that's the measure of your spiritual life, I think you've missed the point. But when the rule or the word becomes flesh and that sadaka spirit hits, the actual math matters less because the spirit around it has been developed in our life. It's been incarnate or it's been made manifest. So, my brothers and sisters, may we repent for the unhealthy pictures of tithing. And may we develop a sadaka spirit, one that takes care of our pastor, our church community, ourselves, and the poor, 
before we take care of MasterCard and Visa. And above all things, may we know him. Thanks for being a part of your life tonight. Grace and peace, everybody.